I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guest for this episode is Bart Campolo. Bart is the humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati. I know. (laughs) That is actually a thing. Depending on what worlds you move in, you may or may not have heard Bart's name before. Bart's father is Tony Campolo, a very well-known evangelical speaker and teacher. Uh, Bart grew up in the church, and it was a natural thing for a kid with that background and a natural talent for speaking and teaching to follow in his dad's footsteps. And for years, Bart ran an urban ministry in Philadelphia called Mission Year. But uh, increasingly, the things he saw on the streets and the original questions he had about his faith moved him into a place where he no longer felt comfortable in the church. So how does somebody whose belief is tied to their livelihood honestly investigate those questions? How do you really allow yourself to question your faith when it's likely to impact your ability to put food on the table? To his credit, Bart's never really been one to shy away from a tough or thorny issue. And I won't tell Bart's story. He's perfectly capable of doing that, as you'll hear. But I will tell you this. The conversations we have on The Distiller are sometimes kind of hard to balance. There's the work that people do, and then there's the question of how and why they do it. And my fear in talking to Bart was that we'd spend so much time talking about faith that we'd never get to the unique and interesting work he's actually doing. I think our conversation strikes a pretty good balance, but ultimately that's going to be for you to judge. This is a subject that's personal for me because Bart and I come from pretty similar religious backgrounds and have similar skills and interests. For instance, we both host podcasts. We both make our living talking. I didn't want to spend so much time grinding our respective axes that we ignored what the show is supposed to be about. So please tell me after you've listened whether you think we've succeeded. In the meantime, I am really fascinated by Bart's relationship to work. While he's not the first person to do what he does, he is, as I said, the humanist chaplain for the University of Cincinnati. He's certainly a trailblazer in the field. Hearing his thoughts on how to navigate that relationship, how you essentially create a non-religious or secular version of a job that's historically been held by people of faith— is fascinating to me. And not only because of our shared interests, but because on some level, it's an example for anyone trying to do something unique or uncommon. Bart's charisma, which he's aware of and discusses in detail on the show uh, as a factor in his process, gives him certain advantages. He's aware of that. Um, I'm kind of reminded uh, of Salman Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses. One of the messages of that book is, If you're visited by an angel of light, you'd better investigate whose message that angel is carrying. And what I mean is, I'm both intrigued by and skeptical of people who kind of carry the message down from the mountain, people whose work is in some way tied to their charisma, and if I can use this word, their celebrity. Bart has, as one of my friends put it, a powerful orbit. I'm always up for talking with someone who's aware of the impact of their charisma, especially if they're doing so in light of their work. And as you'll hear, that's kind of what Bart's all about. I really did enjoy our conversation, even if it pushed some buttons inside me, but that's what a good conversation is supposed to do. And I do hope you'll enjoy it as well. Oh, and a quick note on our location. 
Bart and I met at the headquarters and the roastery of Deeper Roots Coffee in Cincinnati's Brighton neighborhood, or also kind of known as the West End. People, even those familiar with Cincinnati, are likely not that familiar with Brighton, but it sits in a little pocket kind of between downtown, the better known over the Rhine Historic District, and the University of Cincinnati up to the north. It's an area that Cincinnati's rapid gentrification is just beginning to peek into. And Les, Ryan, and the folks at Deeper Roots have built a thriving business by sustainably sourcing coffee from Central and South America. Their commitment to their farmers they buy from is represented in their entire business model and where they've chosen to plant the headquarters of their business. And that's what Deeper Roots means. If you're anywhere near Cincinnati, Deeper Roots Coffee is available at a bunch of coffee shops in the area, including the two Deeper Roots Cafe locations in Oakley and Over the Rhine, um, as well as in retail outlets, including Whole Foods and other places around the area. Look them up. It's fantastic coffee, but it's also one of the best, most intentional business models I've ever come across. So thanks to Deeper Roots for hosting us for this episode. And without further ado, recorded live at Deeper Roots Coffee, here is my conversation with Bart Campolo on The Distiller. Cheers. You're drinking water, not coffee in, in the coffee place? It's late in the day. Well, no, these guys, they know me. Like, I'm really close friends with mm. um, them. And, and I, my wife used to run the Roastery Cafe. Right, right, right. And I don't drink coffee. <laughs> I, I never started. Yeah, I never ever started. Well, yeah, no, it's and it's not. Start, like, I, I have no moral problem with it. I think uh -huh. it's I, it's the most beautiful like social drink. Like a person like me should totally drink coffee. You should be a coffee guy, but you're not. I take people out to coffee all the time. Are you a tea guy? What are you? I, you know, like I only drink tea because somebody else. I, I have to have something yeah. to, to balance the meal. Are you a beer guy or a spirits guy? Like I, water. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I just all I, right. I'm a very simple man when it comes to my liquids. No, that's good. I I appreciate that. I like all the liquids, and that gets me into trouble. All right. So so what are we doing here? What, what's the best? What 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 can I do to be most of useful? Well, so I want to start off. Good question. Like I love it because that question is who you are and what you do. And we're I don't want to surprise you, but we're already rolling. We're okay. All, no, we're that's all, fine. Already doing it. Right. Um, I want you to tell me as a as a starting point just what you do for a living. Well, it's it's so interesting because. At, this, at present, I do nothing for a living. Like, okay. Because what I do does not pay pay enough for me to live on. So I, I'm married to my wife for a living. Well, and that's okay because the, there are many different definitions of work. Our show, we say it's about how you find meaningful work and how you find meaning in the work you do. Yeah. So sometimes it's about paying work. Sometimes it's about the work of your life, yeah. your vocation, your life's work, which may or may not pay. Yeah. So tell me what you do with your days. So what I like, like what I do for life. Mm -hmm. what, what I do in my life. In your life is I am a a humanist chaplain. Okay. And what that means is basically, I mean, when you think about a chaplain. Yeah. You think about like a pastoral. Generally, care. you think about it in a military context, or, or a prison, a or a hospital, yep. or a hospice, like a, a pastoral caregiver. Right. Right. Yep. A university chaplain who sure. sits and talks to students about their lives. Uh huh. And so. That's kind of what I what I do is like I was that pastoral caregiver as as an evangelical Christian for many years, yep. and when I sort of transitioned out of supernaturalism, uh -huh. when I was no longer able to hold that narrative, yep. I still wanted to be a minister. Right, you still wanted to care for people. Right, and 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 in that particular way, that a you know a, a, a chaplain who, you know, you're in, you're in you're in emotional distress and you're like who can i talk to oh call that guy yeah or the person who like organizes the retreat yeah 
or who cre- you know helps helps sort of establish a, a little fellowship group. Right. So what happened to me was when I transitioned out of Christianity, I was tr- like I was trying to figure out like where do I do that? How do I do, you know like, how do I stay? I'm a minister who doesn't believe in God. What do I do now? How do I minister? And I wandered around looking for different things, mm-hmm. looking for some sort of paradigm. I wandered into some of these like atheist clubs, and they were not pastoral caregiving locations. They were like, you know, kind of... They're debate clubs. Sometimes they're debate clubs. Sometimes they're like make fun of Christians clubs. Yeah. Sometimes they're really like science and reason, really interesting people club. Sure, Christopher but, Hitchens clubs. But what they're generally not is like a church. Yeah. Um, and so I was wandering around, and a friend of mine, um, two books this guy gave me. Is my, my friend Rich Dzinski, who I am forever in his debt. Uh-huh. Um, he gave me a book... Um, called um, The Great Agnostic, mm-hmm. which was a biography of a guy named Robert Ingersoll, mm-hmm. who you may or may not have heard of. I've not heard of his stuff. Ingersoll was the most popular orator in the world at the time of Abraham Lincoln. Okay. As a matter of fact, at the time of his death, Ingersoll had spoken live to more human beings than any person in the history of the planet. Um, back in the days when oratory was like entertainment, right? He would mesmerize no TV, no crowds radio. of five you had or to ten thousand person. Yeah, and yep. he was a popularizer of Darwin. Okay, um, and he was he he had grown he was a minister's kid mm-hmm. like me, mm-hmm. and he, ne- he he had never bought into the narrative. In fact, he thought the Christian narrative was in many ways toxic. The idea of original sin, teaching people that they are, you know, horrible and deserving of damnation. Yeah. Um, and, and, but he was a winsome, warm, funny guy. And even Christians used to love, like Henry Ward Beecher, who, mm-hmm. who lived here in Cincinnati. Yep. Great friend of, of, of Ingersoll's. Okay. Stayed in his house. Like, uh, they were tight. And, and Ingersoll um, would, he was a feminist. He was, a, he was a, a, an early abolitionist. He was an a environmentalist. He was this great guy. Mm-hmm. And, and when I read this book, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's my new, like, that's my role model. That's, like... Did he, he call himself a humanist? What, did he ha- attach a label to himself he, at all? I mean, he, he was known as the great agnostic. Because okay. uh, in, in, in classic form, he, he, he was just like, I can prove nothing about God. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, in reality, a great humanist. Okay. And so, that, he was kind of like, oh, that's the kind of vibe I want to send. Mm-hmm. But then I, the other book, was a book called Good Without God, and it was written by the humanist chaplain at Harvard. Okay. And was that it, the first time you, you came across the idea of a humanist was, chaplain? It was. And, right. and, you know, and as he was writing about this group, I, I was sort of fascinated. I said to Marty, like, look at this. And she was like, you should go out there and see what that looks like. <laughs> so I did. I flew to Boston. Awesome. I called the guy up, and I said, hey, can I come see what you're doing? Yeah. And when I got there, I walk in. And did you grow up in the churchy stuff? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, like, I walked in there. And it was like every youth group you've ever been at. Like it was just like a bunch. It was like a young life club. Like but without a bunch of nice kids sitting around talking about yeah. how they could love this person and this trip they were going to go on to feed hungry children in Botswana. Like they, it was just youth group. Right. Except they were doing it on the basis of a kind of a humanistic secular narrative. And I, I, I hung out with Greg afterwards. And, and he said, you know, he said like – you could do this. You, you, you know about college kids. You know about ministry. You yeah. know about relationship building. And, um, and so in the end, I ended up 
my, my kids were out in LA. And so I ended up deciding, okay, I'm gonna go try to be a humanist chaplain in LA. And I reached out to the Dean of Religious Life at USC and he said, we've been looking for a humanist chaplain. <laughs> Would you come and be our humanist chaplain? That's and, fantastic. And so I became the humanist chaplain at, at USC. You were there for two years? Three years. Three years. Yeah. And, and ultimately he thought, and I thought, because you know, I, I came up in the evangelical paradigm, so I thought I would go out there and I would do this wonderful work. And I would, I would get all these kids who didn't believe in God and get them all excited about making the most of their lives and making the world a better place and building loving relationships. And I thought that the humanist world would see what I was doing and say, that's amazing, we need to support that work. <laughs> uh -huh. And I thought like I would build this great ministry and then everybody would go like, we need to support it. And what I found out was is that there isn't the same infrastructure of giving in the secular world that there is in the Christian world. When you use the word giving in that context, is it just generosity of spirit or is it actually support of the work and financial well, like, ability? If I, if I went to USC and created a 75-person fellowship of really dynamic young people and, was, and who were saying, this has changed my life and now I want to do something wonderful in my life, mm -hmm. I could go to any church in America and say, this is what I'm doing. They would like, here's $1,000 yeah. out of our missions budget. You know, yeah. like, individual people would say, I'll give you $20 a month. Yeah. And I thought the same thing would hold true. Okay. And, 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 and they're just, I, I couldn't figure it out. Eventually I figured out that the way to do it would have been, I figured it out too late, was that the only people that really want, cared about the spiritual lives of USC students would be USC alumni. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I didn't have access to them at that, at that point. What I should have done was if I should have been, if I could have stayed at it for like 10 years, yeah. the students I had the first year- Would have become the alumni. Yeah, because they, 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 they think it's the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. Because most of them had never been part of any kind of fellowship group. That was another one of my questions. Were these kids who had no religious experience or were these kids who maybe were religious before they came to college and then lost their faith at college but still needed It was community? probably two-thirds of them were kids that had never involved. Okay. In, and then the, there were a third that were kind of like refugees from, from youth group yeah. um, who, who weren't, they, couldn't, they didn't believe in God or they couldn't believe in God anymore, but mm -hmm. they missed it. Yeah and they missed the fellowship thing. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the weird thing was when I got to USC, a lot of people thought that I was there to do the atheist club thing, mm -hmm. where I was gonna get out, set up a table and go like, Christianity is bunk, yeah, yeah. and I would wanna debate, right. and, you know. And I was like, three quarters of this campus doesn't believe in God. I don't, like the ones that are happily- I don't need to convince anybody. No, the ones that are happily yeah. following Jesus, let them happily follow Jesus. I just wanted to, my, the people I wanted to evangelize were not the Christian kids. Yeah. I wanted to get kids that didn't believe in God. And I, and, and I said, you know, I used to say to a kid like, so you think this life is the only one that you have? And he would go like, yeah. And I'd go like, so what are you gonna do with it? And he would be like, I'm gonna be an investment banker. And I'd be like, really, you have one <laughs> brief moment of consciousness and you're gonna make rich people richer? Right. I was like, there's so many better things you could do. And so I was trying to like, get kids who are already secular yeah. to sort of buy into the wonder of life and, and, and buy into the notion that the way to make the most of your life was by building loving relationships and making things better for other people. How does that, because the, the youth group model, and maybe I betray my own prejudice here, because the, the religious model is transactional to some degree. It's like, yeah, we're here because we care about you and we like you and we want you to be happy and all that. But ultimately, we want you in to the club. 
we want you to sign, you know, we want you to whatever that version is for whatever group that is. We want you as a member of the, of the club. You don't have any, there's no transactional model for you. There's no like bow your head and close your eyes sinner's prayer at the end of your interaction with these kids. No, but I mean, we had a club. I mean, we had, we created a culture. We created a little tribe. Mm -hmm. And, and like, if I was like, as a chaplain, like I meet with, and I just, I don't, I am the, now I work with kids at UC because mm -hmm. my wife hated LA. Okay. And I like, and, and if you're going to be poor, LA is not the place to be poor. No, absolutely not. And so we missed our friends. And so we, we moved back here mm -hmm. and now I'm the humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati. Right. Another unpaid okay. position. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I work with a lot of students and sometimes I'll meet with a student and that kid really, that kid could really use a, a circle of friendship. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of lonely kids out there. Yeah. There are a lot of kids with anxiety and depression and, and a lot of kids who don't know how to connect with each other very well. Our culture isn't doing a very good job right now of teaching kids how to form meaningful attachments. Yep. Um, and so for those kids, I want them to join our secular student fellowship, mm -hmm. not because like we need more members. I mean, like more members is just more work for me. Like right. there's no money in it. Yeah. But I'm like, that would be good for that kid. Right. There are other people that I meet that they don't, like they have a, a circle of friendship. They're, they're doing fine. Mm -hmm. They might need some direction on something or they might, they might want to talk with me through a particular issue in their life. And like, you know, which is great too. Yeah. So like, I don't have a, I don't, it used to be that like, I wanted to evangelize people because it was good for my, good for my group. Yeah. Now I want people in my group if it's good for them. Right on. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it makes sense to me. There's a number of questions that come up like, First of all, is the fact that we don't have a, a model for it's everything that you were just talking about is when you let go of that belief system, what is that model societally? Where do people go for pastoral care if they're not a religious person? You have figured out one model for that in the university system. Is that therapy? Is it like general counseling for the rest of society? Like, you, know, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I do some, I do some counsel. I, I mean, and so for the living part, what happened was I was working with all these college students and I wasn't able to figure out how to raise the money. And a therapist friend of mine said like, you should see clients. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not a therapist. And he's like, <laughs> but you have 30 years of experience of providing a certain kind of like, you can call yourself a coach. You can call yourself a lay counselor. Like, right. he's like, you should, bottom line is he's like, if you told people that for a hundred bucks an hour, you would talk with them there would be a whole bunch of people in this town that would be like up for that. Yep. So I started doing that. Okay. And uh, w what's interesting is, is that it turned out that the most people that came to me were people who were transitioning out of faith mm -hmm. and were struggling in marriages or with their parents or with their kids. And they were trying to make, or more to the point, they had lost that framework of meaning and they hadn't, they hadn't, they hadn't stumbled on Robert Ingersoll. Yeah. Or, or they weren't a person like me who was, was bound and determined to construct a new framework. And so they were just kind of like, my life had meaning and now it doesn't. Yeah. And I, I want to be a good person, but I don't really have a compelling reason or way of explaining why I want to be a good person. Or a definition even for what that means. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so for a lot of them, it was like I was helping them construct a, a worldview 
that was motive, that, 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 that was sort of meaningful. Yeah. Um, so so what happened in that whole deal? So anyway, what, I ended up like, you know, some guy in Luxembourg who you Skype with, uh, some woman in Australia, like there's, right. you know, some, some, you know, older, older guy who lives in, in Detroit. This and, is your client base. Yeah. So they come yeah. from all over the place. Okay. Um, so that, that, and it was funny because like at first I was really resistant because I was, I said, you know, the magic in all this is, is that when I'm talking with somebody, they know I really care because mm-hmm. there's nothing in it for me. But if I'm getting paid, they won't, they won't feel loved. And my therapist friend was, he's like, he's like, it, it, you try it. And what was funny was, is that I found that like, I was still able to create this, I was still able to communicate mm-hmm. the reality, which is- The money didn't get in the way. This, it's not why I'm here. Yeah. I need the money so that I can not go to work at Denny's. Right. So that I can have time to sit and talk with you. Yeah. But like, that's not why I'm here. But more importantly, this was the really weird thing was, people pay a hundred bucks for an hour of your time. They really listen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you give them a, 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 something that they ought to try. They do um, it. They, they do it because they're invested. Yeah. And so what I found was I was more effective because the love was still there, but there was also investment on their part. Right. And so it's been, a, so that's been a really cool thing. And like, honestly, I think that the future for me in terms of, in terms of like how I make a living is that's growing. And eventually I'll probably do like two or three days a week where I talk to six or eight people in a day. Yep. And that'll be enough. Okay. Um, but then in my spare time, I work with the college kids. Yeah. And when I moved back to Cincinnati, I found that there were a whole bunch of people that, were, that had heard about the work in Cincinnati who were like, or, or in LA. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, could you start one of those youth group things, but like for like people with families? Right. For like, for because like, yeah, not just for college. We students. just miss church, right? And so I, I, we, my wife and I, we did start having like these potluck dinners um, every other Sunday for people that just want to experience purposeful fellowship again. It's interesting to to me personally because my impulse is the opposite. Like I've gone to when I left the church. Yeah, you're like I never have to go to anything again. Well, yeah, like I was talking to uh, a, a a friend. Um, Justin, who mixes the podcast, and he and his wife, Tasha, um, formerly... Oh, yeah, I know them. Okay, you know the Goldens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so at one point we had this... For people that have grown up, especially, maybe not especially, but in a, in a particular brand of evangelicalism, where your whole life gets devoted An oppressive to this brand thing, of, yeah, 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 and where you're there for 12 hours on a Sunday and Wednesday nights. Yeah. You know, like there's something really beautiful about not going anywhere Sunday morning, about actually having some leisure time and some peace. And maybe you spend that in meditation and cultivation of an inner life, and maybe you just actually sleep more. And that's right. That's but, great but as also, well. maybe you're a musician and, and, and you have all these musician friends, mm-hmm. and it's easy for you to find meaningful friendships. Yeah. But like in every church I was ever a part of, there were people who they themselves, like everybody needs that party, but not everybody knows how to throw that party. And so church was a place where some of the people were there because they they enjoyed throwing the party. They enjoyed making that space for other people. But if if, if there was no church, they, they would have had it at the little league or, or at the, at the art society or, you know, whatever. But then there are people who, unless somebody creates that space for them, mm-hmm. they don't know how to do it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, believe me, I'm, it's not like 
every i'm not one of these people that sort of things like everybody needs like this is the answer for everybody yeah but there's a significant number of people that miss being part of something like that the other thing is like you know you you were telling me like you've got the 16 year old Mm -hmm. and you got the 14 month old yes as that 14th month old grows you get to a place where you go i might like to raise this kid in a community of people. In a community of people yeah. that share my values. Absolutely. Um, and I might want them to be part of a, like go on a camping trip with a bunch of other kids who come from families yep. whose values, and you go like, where is that? Right, where would I find that if I don't have that, yeah. that built-in community? And so, you know, I'm sort of like, you know, I think there are people who they never want to ever be part of anything again. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're like autistic. Or maybe they're just... Yeah. really independent or whatever. And then there are people that find it another way. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that sort of think, you know, I, I miss the music. Mm-hmm. I miss the missions trips. Yeah, I'd like to be part of something tribal like yep. that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, I used to think that stuff was Christian technology. Like Christians had invented the mission trip or Christians had invented singing together. Yeah. Or, and, you know, you realize like that's human technology, baby. That's been around for tens right. of thousands of years. Right. But the church, like, they really do it well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that institution hasn't held together for 2,000 years because the narrative is so compellingly wonderful. It's a really <laughs> harsh narrative yeah, and yeah. really difficult to believe. Yeah. So you go, like, what has held it together? And I go, like... The social institution. The mission trips, mm-hmm. the sense of purpose, the music, the architecture, the sense of transcendence that is created when a bunch of people are in one place together yeah. singing and talking about higher concepts. Yep. And for some people, like that, that's pretty deep in the human psyche. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of, people sometimes say like, well, what do you do now that you're not religious? Like, like oh, no, no, I'm, I'm still very religious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, uh, it's, it's just a different it's club. It's secular. Kind yeah, yeah. Of, yeah, I'm not. A su- I, it's not supernatural. Right. But I st- like. I think this world is all there is. I just think it's worthy of my devotion, hmm. and uh, my, you know, my religious devotion, if you will. Yeah. I read uh, when my oldest son, who's 16 now, was a baby. I was reading all the books because you do that, and I read. I wish I could remember the guy's name, but there was a book called Raising Self-Reliant Children in a Self-Indulgent World. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I read that book. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. he created that guy. Whatever, Gary white or something like that, created the Institute for Capable People. And his whole thing was about the breakdown of social structures and of that social matrix that for thousands of years of human history, if there's an aberrant influence in the child's, you know, if the dad's alcoholic Mm -hmm. or the mom's abusive or something like that, the rest of the the matrix absorbs that and makes up for it. And and, and if you say like, Bart, what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. I go like, I'm the guy who, like, if that's the band, mm-hmm. there's, there's somebody who's a really good violinist. There's somebody who's, like, I'm like the orchestra leader. I'm the guy who goes like, hey, everybody, let's play this song. Right on. And, and, and you, it's not the most important person in a community. A lot of times the most important person in the community is the person who's the, who's, who's the really good hospitable one who can cook mm-hmm. and create space. Or there's somebody who, who's really good with the technology and they're able to, like, make the space work, or there's somebody who's great at music, and they're able to, but you need somebody who's, like in one of those old Andy Rooney movies, the person who says like, hey kids, let's put on a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you need somebody who has a vision right. for the party. 
mm-hmm. and enlists everybody else to make that party happen, mm-hmm. um, like the DJ. Yep. Yeah, and, 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 and so that's what I did when I was a believer. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you go like, you're remarkably the same person. I go like, yeah, it was like, it wasn't magic. Well, I read some interview with you where you said like, unless you were actually talking about belief, you wouldn't recognize that you, that you, anything had yeah, changed about no, your life because you're doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, and, my, and my faith didn't like, I didn't have some like t- terrible moment or I wasn't disillusioned. It died the death of a thousand cuts so that yeah. all, you know, by the end of my Christian ministry, like there wasn't any supernaturalism in the game anyway. I knew how, mm-hmm. I knew how people's lives got transformed and we manipulated those processes for the benefit of those people. Yeah. And you sort of understood like, yeah, you know, like this guy will have a lot easier time not using drugs if like we get him a job and we surround him with a bunch of loving people and he right. lives in a group home with some people. And you're like, oh wait, like, and, and, then he, and then he said like, God, you know, delivered me from heroin. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was God and like this nice group of and people. And about a thousand people, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, I, you right. know, once you know that how that technology works, you go yeah. like, yeah, that's just a, that's just an incredibly rewarding thing to do. Hmm. Um, you know, it's just fun. Like it was always fun right. to and intervene just as, in somebody's life and see it become better. Yeah, and maybe it's easier because the church does have it figured out because the institutions have structures behind them that can fund those things and that makes all of that come together a little more quickly. You're having to do some of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, work it, it, you know, and, and that's the thing, like you, you, you kind of need a whole new infrastructure. Yeah. And I think that what's going to happen, Brandon, is like, there's a, like it, the numbers of people that are able to buy into those narratives, the traditional you know, spiritual narratives, is shrinking. Mm-hmm. But those people still need transcendence. They still need community. Maybe, they maybe st- more so now than ever as the isolating factors of society yeah, yeah, yeah. grow. Yeah. So, some, so, so the thing is like, I, I'm, I'm thinking like, there's, they're gonna need a new, a mm-hmm. new uh, infrastructure. And uh, and like I like I don't presume like I'm inventing it and it will be you know it will be t- trademarked um, like like it's like the beginning of the computer age where everybody's in their computers and 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 people are swapping ideas and stuff mm-hmm. and and some stuff won't make it and some stuff you'll learn from and it'll fail but you'll take that over to the next thing like I, I'm I'm under no illusion that you know there's going to be a replacement for that kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, social function yeah. anytime soon. But like, that's what we're all working on. I have a, I have a friend uh, who lives in Bloomington who's a yogi who uh, way, you know, 2008, 2009, we were having this discussion about the 2012 apocalypse. And he was telling me from his particular uh, tradition, he said, you know, the yogis believe that there's going to come this time and he was talking about the Piscean age ending and the Aquarian age beginning. And he, you know, and he said, um, where the noise of technology becomes so great that in order to hold on to what it actually means to be human, you're going to have to have some sort of a practice and some sort of a community that differentiates your human experience from the noise. Yeah. And noise means a lot of things in that context. But like I have in the ensuing 10 years, come back to that conversation so often in so many contexts about like, oh, this is a thing that I see right. that anchors you in the human experience. You, know, you see people like, they get, get wrapped up in like CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And, it's community. And, 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 and it's them trying to fight out the noise. Yeah. They're going like, I'm depressed. I feel lousy. My body hurts. My mind is not good. 
and 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 in that in that practice mm-hmm. and in those people they find community and yes something and that, that 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 satisfies those needs in their yeah. lives and you know the difficulty with it is is that it doesn't always encompass a family yeah and so you know so see so but 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 you see what's happening there are people are trying to compensate for I mean one of the best books I read recently was um a book called Reclaiming Conversation by a woman named Elizabeth oh no no uh, by a woman named gosh I'm going to blank on her name, but it's really easy to find. Um, she's an MIT um, technology researcher. And it was all about the notion of that these devices that we carry around and the computers and things have fundamentally changed the patterns of our relationships hmm. and the ways, in which our, like, the, the ways in which our conversations go and the way we edit ourselves and all this stuff. And she was like, she wasn't anti-technology, but she was like, this is profoundly changing things. And there's going to have to be some kind of reckoning and, and, and some kind of people are going to have to figure out a way to make sense of it, a way to internalize yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. a way to preserve their humanity. Right, right. Um, and, and, and that essence, that essential quality that makes it worth being alive. Mm-hmm. And so, I, like, so, so, you know, when you say, like, what do you do for work? Like, my work is all about trying to speed that process along a little bit mm-hmm. and help some individual people find their way into it. And I mean, I, you know, especially the college students, I'm trying to turn them on to human relationships, mm-hmm. which many of them are sort of like, they've practically given up on them. Yeah. They're just like, that's probably not something that's going to happen for me. Like, I'm not going to have those. Like, they, you know how like you look at a romantic comedy and people go like, yeah. Not for me. Not, that's probably not going to happen for me, that kind of beautiful. Well, now they're even looking at friendship that way and mm-hmm. saying, I, I'm not sure I'll ever have one of those wow. soulmate buddy friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to say, no, this stuff is it's actually not that. It's not, not too high for you, not too hard for you. There's a, but there's practices and there's disciplines that you would have to do if you're going to get there. Do you feel... Um uh, sometimes I think about when we have these conversations about technology and we have conversations about kids with ADD and, and um, all of these things, sometimes I feel like the things that we experience as, as behavioral problems like ADD or different things are the human reaction to technology, the way to make sense of it. And I guess the question is, do you, when you encounter things like that, I know that you that you very deeply believe that this is something that we need on a human level. The devil's advocate in me says, are you perpetuating an antiquated model of human relationships that were actually somehow evolving right. past? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I know people that sort of like, autism is on the rise. And they're like, it may be a more effective way, like that, that hyper-focus. To deal with the noise. Yeah, to deal with the noise. And like, in, yeah. you know, there may just be like a new adaptation. Right. And that's where... The chaplain part we've talked about. When when I say I'm a humanist, mm-hmm. you sort of go like, "Wait, are you are you attached to a particular way of being way human. of way of being human?" And I go yeah. like, "I am. Yeah, I am. And I'm attached to my children too. Like I know my children are not." The most beautiful, brightest, smartest children on the face of the earth. I don't know. I know your kids, and they're pretty. They're pretty bright. But they feel that way to me. Yeah. Like, like, 
and, 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 and I make no bones about the fact that like I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so like, and you go like, are you, do you love human, do you love like friendship and missional living? Like, mm-hmm. like trying to invest yourself in other people in order to watch them flourish and then sort of feel like you had a hand in that. Like, that's is it, is your, it people you love or is it that process that yeah, you love? Yeah, and, and you go like, and is, it, is that just your, like, that's just your preferred way of life. Right. And you're like acting as though it should be normative for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm going like, yeah, like I can only sell what I know. <laughs> like, yeah. like I am, I, I am loyal to that. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and I'm aware of the fact that it might, the species might not make it. Most species don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and this particular way of being human might not make it. Yeah. Um, but like that's, I'm, I'm dancing with who brung me. Sure. Like that's, that's what I'm, and so when I'm with a college kid, you're right, like I'm saying to them, I at least want you to consider this. Like I know it's not right for everybody. Mm-hmm. I know that there are people whose minds are wired up in different ways. And I, I, have, I have students who, you know, the, the fellowship wouldn't work for them. Right. That, that number of relationships and their way of being connected to nature and connected to the world and connected even to humanity is indirect. Mm-hmm. So like they might work on a project that they know will benefit other people. They don't actually want to talk to the people that it's going to benefit. Yeah. And like there are many ways to be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a way that like if, it were, if there was a bell curve, yeah. I'm convinced that like in the center of that curve, like the normative like your average little person, mm-hmm. human, you know, like, like the Harvard study that says, you know, like the people that have a handful of close, trusted friends who do work that they think makes the world a better place and who've cultivated some practice of gratitude and um, wonder, mm-hmm. like that those people live the longest and register the highest levels of happiness. I go like, yeah. that wouldn't work for everybody, but in the middle of that bell curve, so like that's where I'm, that's where I'm living. Right. Like that I, that, makes sense. Th- those are my those are my people, yeah. And that's what that's what I'm trying to that's what I'm trying to evangelize people to. And sort of you know I see a kid on the corner who's like you know wasting his life, and I, just in like in my Christian days I would sort of go like, hey kid, I've got a better way of life for you. I've got a whole community <laughs> that will support you. In you know and and and, and the difference is, is that then the kid would go like, that's a wonderful community. That's a great way of life. What do I have to believe to get in? And I would go like, you have to believe quite a bit. <laughs> It's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, there's and, a pretty high bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> much of it is very difficult to believe. And and now I, I sort of go like, if you value, if you if you share these values, yeah, that's the whole ball game. Is that an easier sell or a oh, harder one? It's a lot easier sell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit about work. I'm particularly when I was in the church. I know I wrestled for many years because I think I was on a, a similar path in many ways. I wanted to take care of people. I thought I was going to pastor churches for many years. And when I started to sort of evolve. How far did you get? Did you do the seminary thing? Did you do all that? No, I never did no, that. No, you got to get it fully. Yeah. Okay. I've, uh, maybe it was timing, but no, but, I never but, went but, that But far. in your mind, you thought like, I might be that ministry guy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, that was, and that was what I knew, like the way that I, the skills that I had, it was the best application for them. Um, I, I have spent many years since then trying to figure out, all right, well, what am I good at? And I have wrestled for many years with the question, like, I knew what it meant to be good. Now I'm not sure that that word actually has any meaning. So I'm, I'm with you on all of those. But one of the things that I found in the people that I was talking to who were in a, in a similar vein 
was when your belief is your livelihood, it becomes really, really difficult to examine your belief with any actual integrity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Upton Sinclair once wrote um, that it is very difficult to convince a man to change his mind about something when his salary depends upon him yeah. not changing it. Right. Yeah. And, and when I moved here to Cincinnati, you know, that was a first step for me because, like, I had run this big Christian nonprofit mm-hmm. and I left that behind. And out here, I was doing work, but I was like making, I, I, I was working with poor people, mm-hmm. but I was making my living as a speaker. And there was like a little disconnect there where, like, I, I was just, I no longer needed the approval of the whole Christian community in order to do what I was doing. And it was funny, like, when I no longer needed to raise a bunch of money, I started asking a whole set of questions that I hadn't, that had been there, but like I had been. Don't yeah, you push them away. Don't ask that question. Like that's a dangerous question to ask. Yeah, and slippery so, slope. Yeah, so the money, you know, like what was Randy Newman's song? Uh, it's money that matters. Uh-huh. You know, um, money, money really does, you know, or, or, and it's not just money, it's identity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like, that was my identity. That was my community. That was my relationship with my wife and my, you know, like, yep. like that's how people knew me. That was, it was my whole way of being in the world. Title, influence. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what's remarkable to me is not that I stayed a Christian for 30 years. Although I had, with, with, given the misgivings I had in the beginning, you thought like, how did you last 30 years? Right. What's remarkable is not that I lasted 30 years. It's remarkable that I came out at all. Mm-hmm. That I ever was able to get to the place where I was, I was able to change my mind and then able to be open about it. I mean, because, you know, I've got, I, you don't want to know how many pastors, like, I talk to who are like, I'm right where you are. But I just like, can't say it. I can't say it. Yeah. Can't go there. Well, and I think that was going to be, I think that was the follow-up question is like, how many people do you oh, talk to who nice. are like, dude, I haven't believed in a long time, but right. like, how would I, I don't have any other skills. This is the well, only thing I And not just that, like, I, like I, I love this community. Mm-hmm. Or I love my wife or my yeah. husband. Yep. Or, 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 you know, like this is my whole, like there's a whole framework around it. I happen to, I grew up in a kind of Christianity and my parents are such, my wife is such, my kids are such. They're like, I was able to transition and I didn't lose anybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody still likes me. Right. You know, I'm still connected. Um, but for other people, that's not that, not that same option. And, 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 and so... Which is not to say that you, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, but that's not to say that there wasn't, I mean, I, I first heard your name in association with the article that you wrote in like 2005 or six or something for youth specialties. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 yeah, the article they call it. Um, you, yeah, yeah, that the, was the first time that I, yeah. ever, that I ever came across your, right, I your That was dad's. where I came out as like just a straight up universalist. I don't think God sends anybody to hell. Yeah, right. And I like I actually wrote a, or copied a couple of things, which you have to search for that article now because wherever it was published, they they, they took pulled it, down. it and then yeah, somebody absolutely. else pulled it yeah, and then yeah. somebody else pulled it. But like I remember reading, uh, you know, I'm aware that I don't get to get to decide who God is. What I do get to decide is to whom I pledge my allegiance, and I have standards for my God. The first of which is that I will not worship any God who's not at least as compassionate as I am. Like. I've read the comments in that article when you published that, and people were calling you straight up heretic. So you may have held on to a lot of the relationships, but you also like got beat up. Yeah, but like I got beat up by people that don't matter. You didn't? You didn't feel that? No, that no, like, 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 because, like, 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 I was running with these, like, so, like, a name you would know, like, a very prominent Christian guy named Brian McLaren mm-hmm. wrote these lovely books about 
a kind of a more generous kind of Christianity. So right. Brian's a friend of mine, mm-hmm. right? So like, Brian McLaren's not going to throw you under the bus. Right. You know, Brian, Brian McLaren's like, what you're doing is wonderful. I think it's, it's so beautiful, the work that you're doing with these young people. And, you know, my daughter doesn't believe in God. She, I, I wish she was part of your group. Like, you know, it's like, I'm not going to lose a guy like that. Yeah. I'm going to lose like Franklin Graham. Right, right. And Jerry Falwell Jr. Which is no and like, <laughs> like, like, yeah. you know, some, okay, I, okay, I can guys. lose those guys. Yeah. Um, I had lost those guys a long time ago. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly it was costly, like, you know, like livelihood wise, like I had a career and now mm-hmm. I don't yeah. on that level. But ultimately what is hard for people that are in, that are in those games is, is, is the other thing is, is that that belief system ordered their lives, told them what movies they could go to, told, mm-hmm. them, told them what was a good day and what was a bad day, yeah. you know, and, and without it, not everybody has the ability to carve that together for themselves. And sometimes we look down at people that don't, but you know, like not everybody can fix a car either. I sure can't. Mm-hmm. And when I'm standing there watching my mechanic fix my car, I feel inadequate and weak and less of a, less of a human being or less of a man, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? But I shouldn't. Like that's what, like, cause like when I get up in front of 5,000 people and give a talk, he can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, not different skills, different skills. Yeah. And I think like some people can order their lives without a structure being handed to them and other people can't. And so when somebody leaves Christianity, and is able to get on with their life. And they look back and they go like, I can't believe somebody would stay in it just because they're afraid. And I go like, you know what? If you couldn't swim, you'd be afraid of the water. Hmm. And, and not everybody can swim. And that's, you know, like, and so I, 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 think he, I think we all need to be a lot more generous when we watch people making certain kinds of life decisions because we really don't know what all the factors are that play into that. Yeah. Speaking of skills, what are we talked a little bit about what you do? Yeah, but what are the skills that actually you have? Like, <laughs> what makes you good at what you do? What are the specific abilities that you have, and how did you? This is under the, under the, the heading n- of work. N- n- this may be a dumb question for you. Like, why does it? Like, who cares? I care because I'm interested to know part of part of the discussion that I like to have in the podcast uh-huh. is how do you do what you do? Like, I'm just as interested when I talk to a mechanic about like, right, okay. where did you learn to do oh, this okay. thing? So you do this thing, yeah. you have a, a set of skills that has transcended right. a couple of belief systems. Now let's get down to like, what, you, what do you actually do and what makes you good at it and how did you come by that? I do a few things. Okay. Um, in front of a group of people, I have charisma. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like this, this scientist, after this article came out about me in the New York Times, this, article, this guy from Nautilus Magazine, this, it's this very sciencey magazine, came after me and he was writing an article about charisma. He was trying to figure out like, what is it? Hmm. And he's like, clearly you have it and your father has it. Yeah. And it seemed like, did he teach it to you? And he wanted to know the pro- like what I learned about manipulating yeah. groups of people from my dad, which was a great deal. Um, so, I mean, I think there's some, there's some natural ability that some people have. I mean, you know, like, you know, people say, like, what is charisma? You know, what is that? Je ne sais quoi, or whatever they call it. And I go, you know, you're on a bus. It runs into a ditch. There's a fire. And somebody stands up on the bus and says, everybody, follow me out the back of the bus. Yeah. 
And, and everybody just sits there. And somebody else stands up and says, everybody follow me out of the back of the bus. And everybody gets up and goes. And you go like, that guy has it. That woman has it. Right. And you go like, what is it? I, I don't know. But I do know that even if you have it, then you can learn how to, it's like, it's like the force in Star Wars. You can learn how to direct it and move it, either for good or for evil. Yeah. Um, and so my dad is a very charismatic person. And I watched him sort of move through groups of people. And, and so I think like some of it is the ability to be speaking to a large group and to not be, th- just like when you're driving, mm-hmm. to no longer be thinking about 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, where's my, f- but to be thinking about like what's up in the road. Yeah. And you're talking and you're not thinking about what you're saying. You're thinking about what you're going to say next. And how's this group reacting and listening? And reading the room. A good comic has that. Yeah. So there's reading the room. And you can learn a lot about that. But like, you can learn a lot about reading a defense too, but that won't make you Tom Brady. Like you also have to have something else. Yeah. In interpersonally, which is where I spend most of my time now, because there's not many speaking engagements for a guy like me. Right. Um, it's about establishing rapport really quickly, mm-hmm. and it's about. Is that conscious for you? Yeah. Because there's guys, you know, Peter Block talks about like the fabric of community and he talks about you got to sit with your knees a certain distance from people and you got to have a room that facilitates it. There's a there's an intentionality to how he sure. thinks about how those relationships. Do you do that or is it entirely intuitive? No, like it's it's it started out intuitive, sort of like some kid who, you know, at, at, in the beginning, like she they're playing soccer and people notice like, wow, she mm-hmm. just can kick that ball a long way. Mm-hmm. And so somebody says, hey, come over here. Like, we're going to put you in lessons. We're going to give you a, a soccer coach. Yeah. And like, she ends up being amazing. And you go like, is it intuitive? And I go like, it started out that way. But you and then it. she learned what to do with it. Okay. And so I was intuitively always good at sort of connecting with people. Mm-hmm. But then you start to realize like, I-, I should, there are books on this. Like, I should read some books about this and how to talk to difficult people and, 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 how to nod when somebody's talking to you like you're doing right now. And Give how that feedback. Eye contact yeah. and like touching somebody at the right moment mm-hmm. in, in a non-threatening way that sort of establishes. And you go like, but that's all manipulation. Hmm. And I go like, manipulation has a bad name. Like if I manipulate somebody for my purposes, I exploit them. Mm-hmm. If I manipulate them for their own benefit, I minister to them. Sure. You know, like, like we're all in the business of selling ideas or, or selling actions. We try, we, sell, we try to sell our kid on brushing their teeth or sell them on being kind to, the, to, their, to their sibling. Mm-hmm. And I go like, there are better and worse ways to sell. Right. And so, you know, the thing that I hope makes me a good person is that I'm really interested in, and excited about watching other people flourish. The thing that makes me an effective person hmm is that I've practiced really hard and I've studied really hard and I've had mentors that have taught me things. And like, like this is, this is really my path. Like, this is like, I'm about, I'm about building relationships mm-hmm. the way like somebody is about fixing cars or playing classical piano. Mm-hmm. Like that's my thing. And I think about it all the time. I'm, I'm, um, that word relationships because part of what you're describing is a sort of like um some of it certainly is is relational all of it is relational in an immediate sense some of it is relational in an ongoing investment sense in somebody and then some of it is sort of relationship consultant 
where you come in, you are in a relationship with somebody for a limited period of time to accomplish something in their life, and then you pull back and they yeah. and they move on. How how conscious of that are you, and how much is it um, is it ongoing investment that it's that so costs funny. you something, and how much of it is just sort of dropping in and giving I'm a piece of wisdom and then move on? That's a great question. It's a great question because like I'm much more conscious of it now than I was in my twenties and thirties. Because then, like, I thought I had an unlimited amount of energy. Right. And so I would take people on. And I never shed anybody. Mm-hmm. I just... Climb on. I, 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 just, I, I was just, like, vor- voracious yeah. in my relating. And then, like, I realized, like, most people, they're, they're on, inboarding, on, intaking, and, and then they're outtaking. Yeah. And I was never letting go of anybody. Mm. And, and I never set an expectation, like, this is for a specific purpose or for a specific length of time. Yeah. Now I'm much more clear about what we're trying to do here boundary-wise yeah. and, w- and why we're here and what we can do. And like sometimes I'm able to offer a real friendship mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm able to offer um, a friendly, you know, like I'm yeah. gonna, I, I care, but like I'm, I'm trying to get you into a... A, a, a circle of friendship or a community or a relationship, I'm not that guy. Right. I'm not going to be there forever. Yeah. Let's so, hook you up with the person. So now I, yeah and, yeah, and and I'm a little bit clearer on that. And like, even in my chaplains who work with the students, like I work with like students and some people, you know, like at one point somebody was like, I would, you know, what I would support is if you were going to start these things all over the country. And I'm like, ah, no, no, no. Like, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work with 30 kids and they're going to go other places and they'll start things like, like, you're not looking to start a movement. No, no, no. I just, I, I just, I just do this one little thing. And like, if you think it's cool, you can come look at it. And if that inspires you, like, go start your own band. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to start like one big band for the world. Yeah. Like, I, like, I, I, have you ever heard of the Dunbar number? No. Like, the Dunbar was this social scientist who said like, you can basically handle a community of about 150 okay. people. I've not heard that name attached to it. Yeah. That number I'm familiar but with. But when, yeah. when it gets beyond that, you have, to, you have to have a different way of managing it yep. than just by like relationships and gossip and you know, interpersonal stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I, like, I'm not your guy. Not looking to grow that. I'm not your guy past 150. <laughs> and, and so, um, but, but so, 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 so sometimes like what I, I, I think is like, I'm just going to run this little wonderful little group of people mm-hmm. and some of them you know people go on they, they leave they go places and, and they've learned a way of relating that maybe they'll you know so th- that's my way of influencing the world is to just like build a few Stradivariuses every year and and hope and send them on their way yeah i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not trying to yeah. I, I don't have those skills uh, two, we're probably at the point where we start wrapping up, but I have two, two more questions. One do you is, edit this or do you just like play it through? I just play it through. Oh, okay. Unless something happens, unless somebody right. falls down or like, you know, a window crashes. Right. Okay. No, there's no plan to, it's just a conversation. All right, so wrap it up. Take um, me home. Uh, who are your peers right now? Because in the, in the church world, you got lots of guys who are doing exactly the same thing. So far, you've told me one other guy who is doing exactly the same thing, the guy at Harvard. Like, do you have peers and do you have a network of people that are talking about what you're doing right now? Wow, that's a really good... I mean, like, I want to. Um, like, here in Cincinnati, there's a woman who joined our little fledgling fellowship, and she had been that woman who runs her church. Mm. She was like that... 
that everybody wanted to volunteer for and she organized stuff and she, she sort of sat me down and said like, look, dude, like, I, I see where you're going with this thing. Like, I know how to do this stuff. Like, and she, I mean, she's amazing. And so like, that's my, 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 my peer peer mm-hmm. is this person who like, we sit down, she and my wife and her husband, and we sit down and we go like, okay, what's happening in this group? Where should we take it? Like, what do we do about that person? They seem to be really struggling. Who do we send about, you know? It's, yeah. So that's, a, that's like a work in peer. Right, right. In terms of like who in other places, like there are these people that are, that are trying to start these things called Sunday assemblies, mm-hmm. um, started in England. They've started these little secular congregations. They don't do it the way I would do it, but I like them. What are they doing that's different? Um, their things are more, they, they meet once a month and they're very high energy, excitement mm-hmm. energy. Um, I think they're much less prone to like offer people a, a definite path and a okay. way to live. I'm much more willing to say like, not that this is the way, but like this is the way that we're doing it. And like, if you like polka dancing, you should come polka dance with us. If you like funk, go somewhere else. Yeah. Like I'm much more okay about sort of saying like, we're gonna, we're gonna intentionally create a tribe that has a set of values mm-hmm. and you should, if you're attracted to these values, come on in. Yeah. And if you're not like, we're not mad at you. Yeah. This ain't your party. Yeah. Um, but Sunday assembly people, like I, I talk with them and I think they're really neat. Like the people in LA that did it, some of my, my, my good friends, there are some people that are doing it in a, in a thing called Oasis. There's one in Houston and Kansas city. And they're much more like, like sort of secular churches. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in them. There's a woman in Canada named Greta Vosper. Um, and a guy out in Seattle um, named Ryan Meeks, both of whom were pastors of big churches. Mm-hmm. And there, as their faith transitioned, they just stayed in the pulpit. And some of their people left and some new people came in and their churches went from being supernaturally based churches to being kind of secular churches. Right. And so like, when I talk to those people, like we talk about like, well, what songs shall we sing? And, <laughs> you know, like, and like, what's a good retreat look like? And like, we're talking shop like we used to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fun. So I got some people. Okay. Yeah. And th- my final question is, how do you know if you're doing what you're doing well? And I, you've, you've talked about a little bit of this, but I'm kind of hearkening back my own prejudice to the transactional nature of things before. Yeah. Before, it's all about like how many people are signed in the membership sheet or what's the offering on a Sunday. Okay. So what are the outcomes? Okay. I so I was late today mm-hmm. to this interview. Um, and, and the reason I was late was because I was schlep, I was up in, I borrowed a truck and I went up to Dayton to schlep down some furniture for this guy who just moved to Cincinnati from Florida. Hmm. And he moved from Florida because he was in Florida and he was working at Walmart and in rural Florida, like Trump central, and he's not Trump guy. And he's a deconverted Christian and he had no fellowship and he's like sleeping on somebody's guys. He's a 50 year old guy. Mm-hmm. He's had a really hard life, but like he was an alcoholic. He, he got, he, he got sober seven years ago. He worked in a, he worked in a rehab. Then the rehab like laid him off. And, and so they're working at Walmart. His life sucks. Right. So he listens to the podcast, my podcast, yep. humanize me, a fine podcast. <laughs> um, and, and he reaches out to me to ask a question. And I, you know, you go back and forth. Yep. And I find out like this guy's life is kind of empty down there. And I'm like, dude, you should move to Cincinnati. Hmm. He says, why? I said, like, well, I got like 25 friends here. And they'll be nice to you. You don't have 25 friends there. Like, I got to, like, there aren't many places where there's 25 people that are, like, committed to being nice to somebody just because they show up and they want to pursue yeah. goodness. Yeah. So it's like, you should come. 
So he loads up and he moves up here. Well, you know, he gets a job right away, but like he can't find a place to live and like we're trying to find him, you know, he's sleeping on people's couches and stuff. It's been a huge hairy hassle. And like I had to go schlep up this furniture, borrow this truck and get it. It's a big hassle. It's a I go like I'm an Ivy League graduate I'm driving a pickup truck carrying a mattress and it's raining so I gotta find a tarp but in the end I look at this guy and now he's living in a city where he feels connected he's working in the coffee culture Mm -hmm. and he's he's joined a group that um, that do storytelling here Mm -hmm. because he's got a real story to tell and he's got friends and he's excited about the job he has, and he's got this little apartment that we're putting this furniture in. And like his life is so much better than it was six months ago. And he's got so much hope and excitement about it. And my little group of friends, we did that. Like, we, like that guy's life is transformed for the better. And you go like, how does that make you feel? You can tell how it makes, like I feel powerful. Yeah, yeah. I feel I- energized, I feel excited. And I go like, I go like, can I do that again? Like, can we find, anybody else out there? Right, who wants more of like, that? What, like what, yeah. a, what a fun thing to do. And like, you know, at the end of the day, do I have a bunch of money? No, but like, do I look in the mirror? I go like, do I like that guy? I do. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm a genuinely nice person who's trying to help people and occasionally succeeds. And so, like, that is really, like, that's what a win looks like for me. Right on. You'd like, but the guy didn't believe in God, and he still doesn't believe in God. I'd like, I know. He, <laughs> and the guy wanted to, he wanted to have a, a meaningful life full of connection, and he still wants to have a meaningful life of connection. I know, but he didn't, and now he does. Right. He, like, and, 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 and 100 years from now, we'll all be dead. <laughs> and it won't matter to anybody then, but it matters to him right now. Yeah. And it matters to me right now. Yeah. And, and so, like, meaning is not something that I think you find. It's something that gets manufactured between us in relationship. We make meaning. We, like, I've made myself meaningful to, to that guy. And, and, and he's made himself meaningful to a bunch of other people in our fellowship. And so, like, we made meaning out of nothing. Yeah. So that's that that's that's pretty cool. You're talking my language. Yeah. I was the podcast meaningful work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is meaningful work. Yeah. And I, I think what you'll find and what you probably have found is that every every meaningful work, if you break it down enough, what made it meaningful was some kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. E- even even if it's a plumber who says, like, look, I made this piping. And this house will work for a hundred years, and a family can live here, and they can they can build a life here because of this plumbing. Like the plumbing isn't meaningful in and of itself. The plumbing is meaningful because it creates a context in which people can have relationships and the care put into yeah, it, and yeah, exactly. the dignity that that provides. And, yeah, meaning is yeah. something that that emerges in relationships. Yeah, and um, and so there was a time in this universe where there was no meaning because nobody was capable of relationships, and then meaning emerged. And I'm very committed to it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, take a second and tell people, you mentioned the podcast. Tell people how to find out about what you're doing and uh, how to hear what you're Yeah, I'm about. totally easy to find. Like, I'm Bart Campolo, and the, my website is bartcampolo.org. Mm-hmm. 
um, because some jerk bought barcampola.com and and then told me he would give it back to me for $5,000. Of course he did. I hate that man. Uh, And um, so barcampola.org and then then the podcast is called Humanize Me. Mm -hmm. And it's on all those, you know, podcast platforms and stuff like that. And it's just a podcast where I talk to interesting people about how to make the most of their life. Right on. Um, and so it's a lot about relationships. It's a lot about stuff like that that you would probably be really yeah, interested no, in. Singing my song. This is delightful to talk to you. Thank you thank so you. much. Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. Because we, we sort of know of each other more than we know each other. And yeah. it's delightful to, to just to just actually be in your presence. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, Bart. Oh, you bet. You bet. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at the Deeper Roots Coffee Roastery and Headquarters on Coleraine in Cincinnati's Brighton West End neighborhood. Thanks again to Les Stoneham and Ryan Doan and the entire staff of Deeper Roots for hosting us on a rainy afternoon. Check out their coffee all around Cincinnati and uh, expanding throughout the Midwest. We've posted links to Deeper Roots and notes about some of the coffee shops and retail outlets that carry Deeper Roots coffee on our website at thedistillerpodcast.com. And many thanks to Bart Campolo for joining us on the show and telling us his story. Bart's journey has been and continues to be really interesting to watch. And there's no shortage of outlets to learn more about Bart, including his website, bartcampolo.org, where you can find his podcast, Humanize Me, as well as his writings and information about the rest of what he's doing. And you can contact him there to get in touch about his counseling services and everything he's involved with. Visit our website, thedistillerpodcast.com, and we have links not only to Bart's site and his podcast, but to some other interviews and articles with and about Bart, including that original Youth Specialties article I mentioned during the interview. Thank you, Bart. It was a pleasure. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production and booking from Terry Heist. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan, and our videos are by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts. Please click that subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you're into what we're doing, please spread the word. The easiest way to do that is to uh, follow and share our posts on social media, Facebook, Instagram. And the best way you can help us spread the word is to rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. Ratings and reviews, as we've said before, are the most important thing that helps us to get the word out and sort of spread the reach. So please do that wherever you listen. Remember, you can listen, subscribe, and download every episode of The Distiller, and also find links, photos of the guests, and a map of all of our show locations at thedistillerpodcast.com. You can get in touch with us there, or you can also send us an email at mail at thedistillerpodcast.com. We always want to know who you think should be on the show, how you think we're doing in the conversations that we're having, where you think we should record the show. Please do drop us a line, whether it's by email, on the website, or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We always do love to hear from you. So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.